The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is the Pixar Sciatica Podcast. Let's talk about the nether regions, aka the pelvic floor. It is a part of our core system that often gets overlooked when it comes to managing pain, particularly sciatica and low back pain. And today's guest is a very special guest, which every guest is very special, but I'm so excited to meet this and introduce Dr. D. Wu, who is a male pelvic floor specialist and has a whole platform when it comes to discussing pelvic floor function and its uh, relation to pain. So, Dr. Wu, so great to see you. Thank you for being on today's episode. Hi, Ashley. Thanks for having me today. I'm very, very excited. Listeners, Dr. Wu said that I can call him Woody. So for the rest of today's conversation, I'll say Woody and then follow up with a question. Um, Woody, it's so great to see you. I'm really excited. We've talked about male pelvic pain and pelvic floor function and dysfunction in earlier episodes, but I thought it would be a really great time for us to bring it up because oftentimes when it comes to pelvic floor function, we don't really talk about it. It's literally called the nether region because it's kind of taboo to talk about it. And so before we take a deep dive and talk about the male pelvic floor, its function, and also its role in pain, can you tell the audience who may not have met you yet, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and the journey that you've taken to become the expert that you are. Yeah, sure. Hi, everybody. My name is Di. I was born in China, where I was trained as a physician. That's my initial career plan. And I practiced surgery for about three years, mainly in orthopedics, which is I deal with a lot of people have back pain, sciatic pain. So I practiced for three years, and then I decided to move to Canada. You know, one-way ticket, so when I was, when I came to Canada, that was in 2010, and uh, I was trying to prepare for my equivalency and trying to go back to medical practice again. But I just find, you know, there's something missing. You know, I want to better understanding how the musculoskeletal system works. So I went to McGill, the PT school. So then I just find it's opened my horizon and it's just opened up a new world for me. And then I decided, you know, I'm going to stay because I just find I can do way more better for my patient being as a physical therapist rather than being a surgeon. So how and in pelvic health specifically, men's pelvic health, this is came to a story I have been shared quite a bit is when I was in China, we have this patient who suffered from a big uh, trauma after a car accident. And he had like a complex hip fractures and our medical team we were able to you know really reduce the fracture and fix the bones like so well we spent almost nine hours in the emergency room so a year later um i did a follow-up you know of him in the outpatient clinic and then when he came in i just noticed there's something wrong you know he clearly felt depressed and he gained a lot of weight 
and he walked, you know, pretty well. And you can see just limp a little bit and say, and I say, how's everything? He said, I'm depressed and divorced also. And I thought it's because of the, you know, all this trauma event, but actually turned out is after the operation, we told him not doing a lot of movement during the hip, but no one told him how to start sex actually. And then almost a year without any sex, he has a lot of fear and then end up divorced. So as you mentioned at the beginning, you know, this pelvic floor thing, even in medical field, it's just a part. We don't talk about that, right? And as an orthopedic surgeon, I thought I know a lot of muscles joined in the body, but just this part, which is, we never talk about that. And I have no answers can give to the patient, tell him what's going on down there, right? All I can tell him is just, you know, you, you probably need to take Viagra or you go to see a urologist. So this is the story, like, I mean, it's almost like a haunted in my mind for years. And then when I went to McGill and they offered this class and pelvic floor rehabilitation. So initially they say we only offer to a female students because we are talking about the female urinary incontinence. So then I wrote an email to the faculty. I said, I need this class so bad because this is probably can really solve the puzzle like, you know, like I never be able to in the past. And so I was lucky. So I entered the pelvic health, you know, that field. And I, you know, I just pushed forward and become specialist in this field. So that's, that's, that's how my journey. Wow. That's fascinating. I, I know that even for me, um, or even like with us medical professionals, like we get, we, we get presented with a patient case where it really challenges our brain and mindset and knowledge. And from that experience and leads us into the direction that we're having, like where we have such a powerful moment and experience that leads us into the specialization. And I'm really glad that we were able to do that. And um, I'm, I'm going to tell you, Woody, you were the first uh, physician to PT uh, professional I've ever met because the majority, I've met a few other um, surgeon, but most of the time it goes from PT to physician surgeon. So it was exciting and cool to see that reversal. And I'm sure that this can be saved for another episode, but being able to go from country to country, being able to see how the medical system itself actually works, which is an entirely different conversation from there. And so thank you so much for sharing that story. It's really uh, eye-opening and impressive. You've gone through so much schooling and you are, in fact, an expert about all this. So let's talk about the pelvic floor, right? Uh, a lot of people, when I say a lot of people, especially including people like myself, we know that the pelvic floor exists. It's the area, the base of your pelvis. That's where we're looking at uh, bowel and bladder movements, sexual function as well. And so, yeah, the majority of people don't know what that consists of. Can So can you tell us a little bit more beyond what they, the, the four bullet points that say Dr. Google shares uh, with the world in regards to the pelvic floor? Yeah, I, I, that's a very interesting question. Um, I mean, we all have a pelvic floor, and uh, but not all people know we have one. I, have, I just had a patient today. I just saw him. You know, he had pelvic pain and erectile dysfunction, but the moment he entered the clinic, he didn't even know there's a pelvic floor for men. So pelvic floor 
if you just buy the name, is really just like the floor in the pelvis. It's literally everything in between our lives, right? So it include a musculature, like a muscle groups, but also include all the fascia supporting structures and also the vascular and the neurological, like the structures, okay? So it's really a complex structure. But when we look at on the internet, people think about pelvic floor, it's just a muscle, right? But actually it's way more complicated than just a muscle structure. So anything going wrong can actually affect the pelvic function. And it is the bottom part of the pelvis, but it's so critical in terms of function. You know, it supports all our visceral organs above and also control the three main functions. That means urinary function, uh, defecation, and also sexual function. So it's critical structures, but often overlooked. And it's, there's a reason because we don't always look down there, right? So, yeah, so that's just... Uh, my understanding uh, about pelvic floor. Yeah, that makes total sense. There's a lot of muscles. There's a lot of a lot of structures in there, right? And so, um, throughout my training, I remember in my school, I think we ended up having maybe one or two lectures on the pelvic floor itself and talking about how it was a growing field. And what I found to be really interesting and exciting, slash also unfortunate, was the fact that because the pelvic floor, pelvic floor physical therapy and care is such a niche specific specialty in essence. What I would often find is that finding specialists like yourself were very few and far between, but when you go to one like yourself, you're really good at what you do because it's such a specialized area. And so with my training, I remember learning about it. Well, yeah, it is a supportive structure. And then over the years, as I've taken a deep dive in postpartum care and also just the overall function of the core, I learned that the pelvic floor acts as uh, a sling kind of, um, because when it comes to core function listeners, um, the core isn't just your abdomen, is, it, is, is not just your back muscles. Um, it is pretty much, I often like to say that the core is anywhere between your shoulders and your hip joints. And so what that means is we're looking at your anterior structures, your abdominals, internal, external obliques, rectus abdominis transverse, but then you have the backside, which is going to be your multifidi, erectors, QLs, but then you have your diaphragm. But then also what a lot of people look uh, forget about is that the bottom of the canister, which is actually going to be the, uh, the, the, the pelvic floor. So there's a lot, um, it's, it's literally three quarters of, or one quarter of the core itself, which often gets overlooked. And so, um, you know, we explained that it's a, it's a complex system of structures. This is going to be a very broad question, Woody, but why is the pelvic floor so important? Why is it so important for a pelvic floor to function normally? Uh, as I mentioned, you know, this is really, it's play a, I mean, critical role, not only just, like I mentioned, the mix, you know, urinary, urinary function, defecation, sexual function, but it's actually it's regulate the whole visceral organs. And not only about that, also your blood flow, circulation, everything, right? And there will be also have a direct impact on your autonomic nerve system, everything. So if you go through the literature, you can see, you know, health floor participating in the breathing function, supporting balance, you know, continence control, you know, during sexual arousal, ejaculatory function, erection control, all of that that's related to pelvic floor closely, okay? And just like even 
like I said, our mood, something like their study have shown actually, you know, there is directly link about our, I think, the health or function and with our regular mood regulation, because when you're anxious, the the health level tend to contract. That's the the first muscle going to react in certain case. So it's so important. But again, like often people try to neglect, it's just a lot of taboos around this area. This episode is brought to you by the Patient Advocate Program. Are you tired of not having support between your rehab sessions? Introducing the Patient Advocate Program, and we're focused on your recovery, and we're offering you 24-7 access to a doctorate of physical therapy. Stop waiting in line to be seen, and stop spending hours doing long exercise programs. Imagine being able to get all of your care delivered straight to your phone. Best of all, it's affordable. We believe everyone deserves top-notch relief without breaking the bank. So why wait? Take control of your health today and visit ptpatientadvocate.com and book your free call with our experts. Absolutely. And so let's get into a little bit of the specifics. Say, for example, in the case of sciatica, which is the majority of the listeners that we have here. Now, we've identified that there are many different sources in it, uh, causing sciatica itself, where it's either be like an actual mechanical issue, or it can be a neuromuscular issue when there comes to uh, a lack of control. So when you are, say, assessing a, a patient and or with the patients that you come across who've been experiencing sciatica or chronic low back pain, and then they come to you thinking, okay, I think the pelvic floor may be affecting this. What are some of the common trends that you would see uh, in patients who are dealing with sciatica pain that also may have this pelvic floor dysfunction? That's an excellent question. So actually, sciatica, they share a lot of common etiologies with pelvic floor dysfunction. Basically, you know, everything affects your sciatica can affect your pelvic floor, and which is in the clinic, we see quite often, you know, people suffer from sciatica, but if you further ask why they have issues, uh, because tend to, we always, if you don't, you're not in the field, we tend to just ask some questions, rule out if there is any red flags, uh, typically related to caudaiquina. But if you ask deeper about questions, you're gonna notice the pelvic floor dysfunction, which is very, very common in people presenting with sciatica, you know, that's include sometimes they also have a pain uh, in their perineal region. That means they may feel pain uh, around the anus, in, you know, around the prostate, in their scrotum, you know, in their penis, in the tip of the penis, you know, they may have like a, some relationship, like temporal relationship. The more they have the sciatica pain, the more the pain also feel down there. And they may also have some urinary changes. They may not be like that significant, but they're gonna notice they may go to pee more often. And they wake up at night, you know, to pee, which is normally they don't do. Uh, they may also felt it's hard to empty their bowel. You know, normally they, they have a regular bowel movement, but with that sciatica, and they're gonna feel, yeah, I have a one bowel movement every two to three weeks. Uh, two to three days now. And they may also have issues during their sex. They feel like uh, it's hard uh, to, you know, getting arousal. And also maybe it's hard to maintain erection. And during ejaculation, they may have a discomfort. Uh, they may have pain. And they may also felt, you know, the ejaculation is now strong enough. So 
which is very, very common presentation. If you really break down to ask their pelvic symptoms. I really appreciate you saying we need to ask deeper questions. Um, the deeper questions gives us more information and data for us to actually get a better form, a better hypothesis. And from there, we can say, okay, this is what our go treatment plan is going to be. And you brought up a couple very important pieces. I mean, number one, yeah, medical red flags. You need to make sure, listeners, that when you are working with someone that they do screen you for medical red flags. And if you have any of them, to make sure that you are, in fact, assessed by a physician. One of the big questions that I had as you were describing this, uh, Woody, was what are some ways in which individuals or healthcare practitioners determine are these bowel and bladder changes an actual result of say something like cauda equina where there's actually nerve irritation especially in the spinal cord versus like an actual dysfunction is it um i'm, I'm just going to open it up the floor that way because i have a couple suspicions but this is going to be your wheelhouse right i think the cauda equina is if you just go with the name is so scary and that's i think that when i start working as a surgeon uh, i start working in the trauma department so we deal with a lot of trauma. So people coming in with back injuries, and of course, the first thing we need to rule out if there is any cauda equina. So surprisingly, the cauda equina, the diagnosis, clinical diagnosis, is not a reliable one. Is I think in the clinic we find a lot of people we think they may have a cauda equina, uh, but turn off when you do an MRI, and it's become like a, we call it radio negative which is you don't find any compressions there. So that's if it's a, you know, there's a lot of symptoms that are actually not that specific or reliable. So that's make us sometimes hard in the clinic to really rule out the cold equina. But there's still some symptoms. I mean, I'm looking to, so for example, people, some, they come in with acute back injuries or acute back pain, right? So if they really have urinary retention, which is they can now pee after a few hours, that's a higher alert. But if it's only they pee more often, as long as the urine is coming out, they pee more often, they have an urge sensation, this is now something I worry them a lot. Because when the power floor is working hard to maintain your stability, you're going to have you know, this feeling you're going to pee more often. So the first thing is you can now pee after back injuries or severe back pain. So especially after a few hours, you feel that's actually bladder is full, but you have no sensation. The second thing is, is the valve incontinence, which is you lose feces. Like, you know, for example, you start to see, you don't feel it, and there's, you know, staining on your anywhere, or there's stool coming out without any notice. This is something more problematic. But if a constipation, this is quite common. Constipation is very common when people have sciatica. You know, when you are in pain, that part is guarding. So it's, it's really, really, I mean, difficult to not have constipation, actually, right? So uh, this is a two piece of information I'm looking for is urinary retention and uh, valve incontinence. And the other thing is the um, loose audience sensation of the saddle area. They don't feel it, right? So for people who have bike pain, Sometimes it's common to feel some change of sensation. Some they, they may feel tingling sensation. They may feel shooting pain to the penis. Um, this is something is quite common. 
you know, I often tell told my patient, this is called the third leg sciatica. You know, you have this pain can shooting down to your leg, but just think about the penis, you said your third leg, and if the pudendal nerve gets involved, you can have a shooting pain. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. There. But it's not always a, you know, a warning sign. You know, you still can evaluate, you still can treat but if they completely lose sensation, they don't feel anything in the saddle area. I think that's probably the third piece of information I'm looking for. Other than that, even uh, probably another information is just like if there's acute injury, like it's still very acute, and they have the bilateral sciatica, I think that's another probably uh, high alert on my reader. But so far, the other information as I'm working with people who have a pelvic symptoms, uh, most of the symptoms are not red flags. And it's still, you have to put all the pieces together, right? You, you, you cannot just based on one piece of information, make your clinical diagnosis. That's extremely fascinating. Um, and I really appreciate you sharing with that. Cause like one, what we often want to figure out, yeah, is it an actual trauma or damage to the actual spinal cord, cardioquinum, or is it actually something that's going to be presenting? What's really interesting um, and really glad you talked about the pudendal nerve, right? And now it actually innervates the the penis itself or the sensation of it. And what's really interesting is that, as you said, you see some commonalities in regards to the people who suffer with it. Because listeners, remember, the sciatic nerve is actually going to be forming um, from from the from the nerve roots um, L four, L five, S one, S two, and S three. But then the pudendal nerve, if uh, I was just doing some research, but if you can call at the top of your head, what are the nerve roots for the pudendal nerve, uh, Dr. Wu, if you have it off the top of your head? Yeah. So the pudendal nerve deformed by S2 to S4. So that's just like slightly lower than that. So you're having like similar nerve roots or similar nerves that actually exit the spine at the same location, right? Exactly. And also like just, you know, you know, Anatomically, they are very close in the around the hip joint, right? They are underneath yeah. the piriformis, and that's what I said. You know, a lot of pelvic pain and sciatica they share the same common etiology, and it would definitely sometimes we see them. You know, they come in with a leg pain at the same time they have a pelvic pain at the same time. So uh, that's what I said. It's called the third leg sciatica, right? So yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that makes total sense, which then actually brings up another question, which I didn't get a chance to send to you, but I'm very interested to hear your thoughts, is the fact that um, one of the things that I often like to say is like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? And so the scenario is like, well, what what do you think, uh, and I'm sure I know the answer to this, but it's going to probably be saying it depends, but it's like, at what point, like, or how do you decide on identifying is the pain that they're actually experiencing um, a result or a cause of the pelvic floor dysfunction? Yeah, I think that's that's a very good question. I mean, just based on the the nerve, the innervation, right, of the uh, the leg and also the, the pelvic floor. So I think most of the time, I would see if there's issues with, 
you know, we think about there's a back issues and also there's a pelvic issues. Actually, it's always the back issue come first. It's just anatomically think about the nerves from the pelvic floor actually coming from the from the back from the spine as the sciatica and pelvic floor will respond everything about what's happening in your back because the pelvic floor is attached directly to the spine, right? So the end of the spine. So anything changes the spine, the pelvic floor will respond. Okay, so. That's why when people have a pelvic floor issues, my first job is to rule out whether the problem is coming from the spine. So we call the spinal origin. And so I call the spinal origin of the pelvic floor dysfunction. Think about it, it's like a master switch. Think about, you know, you have this a big, like a mansion, like, a, you know, you have different rooms. And then if all the lights is not working properly, probably there's a master switch. The master switch is just like the spine, right? So all the nerves concentrate in the spine. So if all the room, they are not lighting properly, you think about the master switch. So that's why people come in, they have multiple symptoms, sciatica, peripheral dysfunctions, checking their back is the first job we need to do. Okay? And even people come in without any sciatica or like symptoms. So I definitely, I think this is the, the right way. And because clinically we have found research shows us like a lot of pelvic floor dysfunction, we think they are not behaving as we expected, actually is asymptomatic. So pelvic floor will just change depending on the other part of the body. So it's not always the source of the problem, but rather than a responder, I would say. I really appreciate that, Woody, that you said you got to check the back first. And this is something that I've gone through in my training as I've become a little bit deeper in my practice was you focus on one specific area at a time. And then once you exhaust all options, you then move on to a different part of the chain. And this is where I think one of the challenges come when you say go with uh, a, a program that you say purchase online that you're not interacting with someone where you're saying I'm having this pain and then they give you back, hip, knee, everything. And all of a sudden it's like either it helps, but you're not really quite sure what helps. So you're probably spending about 45 minutes to an hour doing all these various different things where you, all you need to do is probably just one thing exactly. um, or yeah. it might not help at all. And then you end up getting a very muddled set of information where you're not really quite sure what the next steps are. And so yes. I really appreciate where you have to say rule out the spine and especially you know, listeners, as we said before, that the nerve roots of the sciatic nerve also exit similarly to the nerve roots that actually influence a large portion of the pelvic floor. And when I'm working with clients who are dealing with sciatica, I would say a very large percent of them are actually originating from the spine. So I can have another conversation on like why I think piriformis stretching and pigeon stretching could be like used for a different area, but we have to be able to see if your spine is irritated we have to reduce spinal irritation and then we address the other issues from there. And so um, I, I just want to add on that. Um, this is really my experience. Like when I, you know, work in the emergency, like also trauma department, like actually people have a back issue even before or after surgery, a lot of it, they have like a pelvic floor dysfunction, very common. And as I said, they tend to be, they respond to the secondary issues and um, study have shown almost 40% of people, uh, they have disc herniation and are already diagnosed based on imaging studies. They will have abnormal urodynamic testing, which is their P function will be abnormal. 
And in 2017, I published a, a case theory, which is three gentlemen, and they come to see me, they purely presenting, you know, urinary symptoms. And one of the gentlemen, if you look at his symptoms, is actually fitting to the diagnosis of chronic cordyquina. Uh, but all the three, their symptoms rapidly and change when we start to manage the spine. You know, they discharge within four to, I think, 4.5 average session. They discharge and show significant improve their symptoms and functional baselines. So that is really, we have to... Where you have the symptoms, not always the source of the problem. So we really have to be mindful is what we are treating. If you only treat the symptoms, it's just no difference than put a bandaid. So you really have to find where is the source of the problem. And so from identifying the source, um, so oftentimes working with a pelvic floor specialist is not the first line of defense, not the first thing to go to. So at what point or what are some of the characteristics or signs that people should be looking for or experiencing throughout their journey that they're thinking, okay, maybe I should consider looking to a pelvic floor specialist? Yeah, very good question. So if you think of, you have to think about how the spine and the pelvic floor, how it works, right? So for example, people coming in, if they have a lot of symptoms influenced by posture, by movement, there's a highly likelihood they are driven by the spine. But if you coming in that people have no back history, back pain history, full range of motion, and their symptoms not influenced by any movement, they don't influence by posture, mostly by influenced by, you know, if there's a strong urge, for example, this, the blood is full, during defecation, during sexual intercourse, you see a clearly link of the pelvic floor activity with their symptoms. That's probably a good indication you need to refer to a pelvic floor physiotherapist. But most likely if the patient have symptoms, you know, even within the pelvis, you know, as a general physiotherapist, you still can manage and track their symptoms, you know, use that as a baseline. And uh, surprisingly, many things may solve, you know, with your treatment. That makes total sense. And so in essence, like going through this, it's not even just trying to like spot these things, but actually increasing the awareness of what's going on down below your belt, right? Um, I think, especially out here in the US, we kind of live in a culture where you're kind of having this uh, outer body experience where you're doing all these different activities, but you're not in tune with your body, but you're only, you only become in tune with the body when you start to experience pain. And then when you start to experience pain, you're only in tune with just the pain itself versus actually like how everything else is functioning. So I really appreciate being able to say like, if you have these conditions, like if we have these scenarios, this gives us an opportunity to, you know, address it. And that's listeners, this is how, how pain management should be. It's not, oh, you have back pain. Let me give you these 15 different exercises. It's, oh, you have back pain, but let me get answered. Let me ask these deeper questions. And then based on that information, I'm in my head, and so is Dr. Wu, is saying, okay, well, if these symptoms or signs are present, then it's most likely this. And then we do a test, we do an intervention, and then we'll either support that hypothesis or we'll refute and we have to change the direction. But that's how we should be able to do it's problem solving. We're approaching it scientifically rather than just, boom, shotgun approach, do everything, and we don't know if it's working or not. 
which in some cases may seem kind of slow, but ultimately it allows us to really pinpoint the idea, the, uh, the source of the pain actually allows us to really attack it head on. And so we need to get the necessary information to provide the optimal, the necessary treatment to take care of people. So now we've identified some errors in regards to, okay, I think I might be a candidate or I think I'm looking into pelvic dysfunction or assessment. What is somewhat like, what, what are, what are we to expect? Um, right now it's like, we go on Google, they're like, oh, you're going to experience like, you know, a typical exam, but like, what's a typical exam? Can you share us a, a little bit of insight in what that exam is like? Yeah, so definitely. So, I mean, as I mentioned, normally my uh, assessment will include, first of all, taking the information, you know, history taking, and that's probably, you know, that's going to take significant amount of the time because we really get the right information to guide us for physical examination, right? And then from there, uh, normally, I would say most of my patients, 75% of my patients, I don't have to do any pelvic floor internal examinations because I will get enough information just from outside, you know, to see how they move. Um, and 50% of my clients, even they have a lot of pelvic issues, I don't need to understand. It just, if I find the driver is not from the pelvis, that I can easily manage that. So basically I will try uh, my assessment well, starting from, you know, anything above the pelvis, you know, and then looks, the pelvis from externally and try to get a sense how the pelvic floor is working. And if there is an indication, I will assess the pelvic floor internally. So which is by digital palpation. Okay. Um, so that's the people always have a perception, you know, about the pelvic floor internal examination, but definitely that is not necessary. And many times you can get very, very good, reliable information from, you know, just external information. Yeah. And so I, I appreciate you saying like, these are the percentage of people that will do an internal exam. And I think, yeah, it's like the last time that like the only few times that I have like an actual exam of my pelvic floor is when I go to get my yearly physical to check for um, hernias as well as cancer. Right. And so being able to be more in tune and understanding that it's like, yes, a detailed questionnaire history taken and gives you the opportunity to be able to say, okay, what necessary tools do I need? So Woody, this has been all very helpful in regards to understanding the role of the pelvic floor, the third leg and how actually the third leg sciatica pain, the pudendal nerve and its link and kind of geographical location, anatomical location close to the nerve roots that are actually forming the sciatic nerve itself. And it's the the function of the pelvic floor and how it can actually interact in its uh, relationship with pain. Let's talk about some action steps in regards to pelvic floor health. Yeah, we'll start off with that. And I'll ask you another question after that. So now that we talked about like, okay, this is how you would, ex what, what you can look out for, and this is what you can expect with the pelvic floor examination. Let's talk about pelvic floor health. How to mm. act, like, what are some good healthy practices to ensure that our public floor is operating well, yes. because we've identified some of the signs that say, okay, it's not operating very well. This is something that we should get looked at. Uh, I mean, the number one, just physical activity. In general, physical activity, just stay active. Your pelvic floor is going to be way more happy. So the pelvic floor doesn't like stay in one position, just, you know, always contract. Think about, you can try it. 
you can use your arm right now, hold something, just hold it there, how long you can hold. Probably even the light is right now have holding a cap like this. Even just this cap, you know, very light, I cannot hold more than 20 minutes. So just keep moving. That's, you know, movement gonna regulate the pelvic activity. And also just by move, the whole circulation, everything just, just so critical for the pelvic health. So movement, physical activity, definitely, you know. Um, if something we can be, if we can manage our stress, as I mentioned, the pelvic can be emotional, you know, if we can manage our stress better. So meditation, all this mindful practice, your pelvic will be happy. And then I think the last thing probably, if can mention what we can do for that, it's just, you know, hydration, drinking water, eat healthy, you know, have regular bowel movement, all of that, your pelvic will be way more happier. Because um, a lot of people, they develop health floor issues is through constipation, all these bowel issues, right? It's secondary, it's like habit from there. Uh, so I would say physical activity, mindful exercise, stress management, and the nutrition. That's probably the three piece can keep your health floor happy all the time. That's extremely helpful. Yeah, it's simple get actionable and very effective. And I think a lot of people overlook the simplicity of things, thinking that it's not going to help. And they often look for the more complicated or the flashy opportunities, but it's really those small uh, the small actions that we can do on a consistent basis that allows us to keep things healthy. And so Dr. Wu, Woody, not only are you a clinician and you have your practice, but you also teach. So for the listeners out there who are really, their eyes have been opened by by what you've said today and they want to get in touch, they want to work with you or they want to learn more about how they can care for their pelvic floor, what is the best way to contact you or access more information? Well, that's very great. So uh, I have a platform is called ipc.health. Uh, People can, you know, get the information basically what I'm teaching. Uh, my specialty include mainly men with pelvic pain and a sexual dysfunction. So that's the two uh, main, you know, areas I'm, uh, I'm working at. Uh, so I teach physical therapists to treat men with pelvic pain. We have this uh, four horsemen pelvic pain course. This year we have given seven, uh, you know, across the whole North America. And we are, we have an upcoming course uh, this weekend, which is called uh, the greatest uh, symphony of erectile dysfunction. So, which is talk about how use a biopsychosocial framework manage erectile dysfunction as uh, either uh, physical therapist or uh, occupational therapist. And uh, also, uh, I'm I have this uh, coaching program for people who want to just in general improve their you know intimacy. So, we call the happy male. Uh, intimacy coaching program. This is still on the way of development, but you know, I have this uh, private clients that they're looking for and they, they enjoy it. So if people want to look, um, want to contact me, can send me email to uh, d, uh, that's di at ipc.health. That's my uh, email. So you can use that. Uh, probably, actually, you can, you know, you can put on the screen or somewhere. People can, can, can look for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, that's, that's my, I think that's my mission, you know, to help men to live better and have a better uh, pelvic health, have a better sexual life. So that's my mission. I love it. 
This is great. Uh, listeners, if you can get a chance to write that down, I'm actually going to put Dr. Wu's contact information, his website into the show notes. Woody, thank you so much. This was great. I learned a lot. I think the listeners have learned a lot. And again, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you got some help from today's podcast. And for more info, check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com. Have a fantastic and pain-free day. No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.